Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Everybody say focus prayer. Amen. I love this focus prayer. It's, I love the unity that it brings within our church to focus on one thing and one thing only. And God does demonstrate through this. Amen. Today we're going to pray on the singles, the single families, the unmarried, the teens that are not married. 1 Corinthians 7 1 says, Paul stated, it is good to remain single. (laughs) He reinstated the same idea multiple times. He did not command us to be single. He simply recognized it. It was a gift to be single. We got to remember God himself is single. Amen. Many Christians, I have been guilty to try to set someone up. That may not be the plan. Let God do it. I promise you, if your relationship with God is right, He is going to send you the right person. Amen. And I'm not talking about you married folks in here. I'm talking only to the singles. (laughs) To say this is not to be uh, depreciate marriage, which, which both Paul and other biblical writers esteem God's good gift through this. 1 Timothy 4 and 3, Hebrews 13 and 4. So today... This is what we want to do. We want to pray that they find their rightful place in the kingdom of God. See, we all, we're actually not single. We're together. We're unified as a family. Amen? So when we come here, we want to pray for those that are single today, that they find their place in the kingdom, devote themselves fully and completely to the work of God, to be confident in their calling. That is key in anyone's life is to be confident in their calling. Know who you are, who you are in the ministry. Know who you are in the kingdom, whether you're married or single. Be content in their singleness because God's going to send them someone. Seek God will for, for a mate that their desire is to be married to. That God will send them the mate that he desires for them. Amen. If you're next to Sam, I wonder if you lay your hands on them. We're going to begin to pray for these singles today, that God would make a way, protect their minds. Come on, let's do so. Lord, we love you today. We thank you, Lord, for your power and your strength today, Lord. We pray, God, and we come before you, God, with these singles, Lord. We ask, God, that your very hand be put upon their minds and their hearts, God. Guide their minds, God, today. Guide their hearts, Lord. Lead them and guide them, direct them, Lord. Use their hands, God, for the good of you, Lord. Guide their feet, God, in the paths of righteousness, Lord. 
Lord, we love you and we praise you, God. You are a worthy God. We ask today, God, that you place a right mind in them for the kingdom, Lord, that you'd help them and guide them and direct them, Jesus. Lord, we love you, God. You are worthy, God, this morning. We praise you, God, for your glory, Lord. We ask, God, that your glory be presented in their minds and in their hearts, Lord. God, you are worthy, God, to be praised and adored, God, and we thank you, God, for the direction and your leading, God, in these minds, God. We realize, God, that you are the one and only true God, and we ask, God, that you work in unity in these folks, Lord. We ask, God, that you work in unity in their minds, Lord. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Come on with a hand clap of praise. Lord, we love you. I wonder if you got a praise this morning. Just clap your hands unto the Lord and worship him. Lord, we love you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Praise God. Good morning. Praise the Lord, everyone. Hallelujah. In our um, Sunday mornings, we've been in this um, discipleship project, and it has been on um, grace. And I would say that this is something that we should uh, forever teach about, talk about, and study all of our life because it's something that we're going to need all our life. And it seems like to me, and this is just me, my observation, but it it just seems like to me um, people of our caliber hold grace really tight. And I don't know if... If it, some people may look like if you show grace too much, then it may make you look weak in someone else's eyes. But I, I would say to me, we of all people should have the most grace there is to show because we understand God as much as we can and as much as we do understand about God as we know him, then we should have the grace as much as we have to show people. We should never cut anybody off. It's, it's not our business to be anyone's judge. Um, the pastor is the one that should be, and God will direct him if somebody gets out of order. This Bible has a plan. The Bible does say there will be wolves among the lambs. And the Bible does give a plan uh, how to go about that if somebody gets so unruly said, you bring them forward to the church. I've went to church all my life, and I've never seen that done. But there again, there is a plan to take care of that. But here again, it's not the saint's place to do that. We should have the most grace, and don't think that it makes us look weak. What it does, I think, makes us look is Christ-like. Because if when we show grace and when we give grace, because God is looking, I think, to us because he said the same that you give out is the same that you will receive. Because if I take and I hold grace so tight and someone that really needs grace as much as I've needed grace and I won't return grace to them, I'm just like the guy with the beam in his eye turning everywhere, destroying everything inside. 
and I should have grace to give when I have received so much of myself. And that's why I say we should read, we should talk, we should study of grace. And I would be so hypocritical if someone come in. That's why it just tore me up when the guy told me all he had was to wear a t-shirt. Could he come to church here? I said, not only that, we'll set you on the front seat. What would it been if I would have told him a t-shirt? We got a speaker system, buddy, in the foyer. You stay in the foyer and listen. What would have God thought of me? That would have been so pharisaical to do that. But in studying of grace, um, I'll get to the lesson, but here's just a few facts I, w- I just want to leave with you. Grace occurs in verses 122 times in the New Testament. It's interesting to note, Matthew and Mark it does not even occur in their gospels. Mark, it occurs one time. Luke, it occurs uh, one time. And then, no, excuse me, Matthew, Mark, zero. Uh, Luke, one time. John, the book of John, three times. Now, I want you to notice the progression on the way it goes. In the book of Acts, the birthday of the church, 10 times, there's 10 verses, grace is recorded. Now, we start dealing with Christians in Romans, 20 times. So you see the progression how grace is growing of where, it's, where it was beginning and then where it started dealing with Christians. One inter, uh, interesting note I'll just leave with you, I, I, I have been reading Revelation with a passion probably for three years Grace is only mentioned two times in Revelation and it's literally at the beginning and at the end. There is nothing in between and I'll just, that's just food for thought. Now, our title today is Grace in Unlikely Places. It is speaking of Mephibosheth and I believe if anyone can relate to this man, we can. The scripture focus is 2 Samuel 9 and 7. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and I will store thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. So here he, here he is. This man now is just being, his life is literally being changed again as a result that happened at a very young uh, age. The lesson starts off, it talks about Norman Vincent Peale, was a pastor in New York. He pastored for a long time. His well-known book is The The Power of Positive Thinking, but he had a lesser-known book. It was just the, uh, The Power of the Plus Factor, he tells, a, he tells a story of him being in Hong Kong and he's walking around and he goes by this tattoo parlor. And of course, they always put up examples of their work that, that where they've tattooed. And one tattoo catches his eye and it just says, born to lose. So he can't resist. He goes in and of course, the guy can't hardly speak, but he speaks in broken English. And he says, what would persuade someone to actually have this tattooed? On their body, born to lose, and said the um, the man told him, and 
in broken English and he just said, before tattoo on body, tattoo on mind. And I thought that was very good because it is literally just a way of thinking. Before someone would ever put that on their skin, it is something that has just been drilled in their mind and we are born, we grow up and it just, why would someone do this? And really, it is just, we're just, we just grow up, we can, we just have these negative thoughts, we just look, but literally sin's mark on us is just that of a broken mind. It is just learning to live and it just, the Bible tells us constantly, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we know that that's easy to say, but it's hard to put in reality every day. And sometimes when you come to church, the last thing, what we need is someone to put their arm around us and say it's gonna be okay. But the hardest thing sometimes when somebody slaps you on the back and said, man, it's gonna be okay. And you know, deep down we know it is. But when the heat is on, you're fighting all this negativity and you know you're gonna leave this setting and go back into that setting. That is just the mark of this negativity that we have to live with. It's, the, it's just the firm grip of reality that we live with that we have to do it. And just we are born with these limitations, these just preconceived notions that we're just born into. And it's literally all because of the fall. It literally is. It literally is. Now, we can look back on uh, the life of Mephibosheth and literally it was because that of the fall and reveal he was just five years of age when his life was changed and then King Saul when he died with him died three kings that never were it was just such a tragic ending to him when you, we know the story of him but John, Jonathan being Mephibosheth's father when the tragic news arrived that Saul and his three sons had died. You know, we laugh at this statement, long live the king. But I promise you then, it was no laughing matter. But this sounds cruel, but just as a lion when he goes in to take over a pride and kills all the cubs, that's a cruel way to put it. But when the king died, all those that would inherit the throne was done away with. So when the king was king, all his descendants, all you could hear was long live the king and they meant it because it was just the rule of law. When that king died, you kill all of his descendants. You don't want his dynasty coming back. So when Mephibosheth heard that Saul and his three sons had all been slain, she gathered him up and leaving him five years, five years old and in haste her leaving dropped him. So here is what we make the connection to us. Here is this young boy, five years of age, the Bible tells us, she drops him out of no fault to him. Did he have anything to do with what happened to his father and his grandfather? And then all of a sudden, in a split second, his world changed. He was dropped, he was lame on his feet for the rest of his life. The Bible tells us, 
So literally, it, he had nothing to do with it. And then here he is, and it's all because of the fall. But one thing was his saving grace is Jonathan had a friend by the name of David. And Jonathan has said, swear to me, if something happens to me, that you will show kindness to my descendants. That was his saving grace. The king would look out for him. And that's exactly what we see in this. But the point that this lesson is making is here is Mephibosheth. Because of no fault of his own, he is laced with a death sentence, so to speak. Here he is. He is living, so to speak, in the palace. Then all of a sudden, his life changed. He is a hunted man at this point at five years old. Five years old. His world literally changes. But David found him and gave him hope. One moment brought his world to an end as far as Mephibosheth. It took him away. And we say, we go, you know, it's just like the old saying, if, it, if, it, if, it's, if it's not broke, don't fix it. We go through life. Everything is okay. In one second, our world changes. It just changes. And we think, what happened? What happened? That's why we're taught, and I've said it, and I've said it so many times, we live in 24-hour cycles. You can't wait till your world falls apart to start praying and to start digging in this word and hiding this word in your heart because you will wake up and you'll wonder where it all went wrong. Hide this precious word in your heart. Pray, establish it, because just as Mephibosheth's world changed in a moment, we can find ourselves changed, and we do. And here's the thing. It's no fault of our own. We are born with a spiritual death sentence. That is a fact. The wages of sin is death. We can't get away from that. Just as Mephibosheth had nothing to do with it, it is done. You are a hunted man as of this point. Your life depends on you hiding from here. So he goes and it just, everything just broke. When Adam and Eve fell, when they was in the garden, it just, the enemy appealed to their flesh they gave in. Look, this thing is good to see. It's good to taste. It just appeals not to my spirit, to my flesh. I desire it. I want it. I want to have it. Something broke in them. It just broke. It was all because of the fall. It did. And then literally, Mephibosheth, he leaves. The Bible tells us he winds up Lodabar, which is unbelievable. Here he is, a kid living literally in the palace, Jonathan's son. Now he goes, he lives out his adult life in Lodabar. And in the Bible, that means literally without pasture or dry place. I'm sure, Mephibosheth, <laughs> where did it all go wrong? Where did it all go wrong? I'm in the palace. Everything is fine. Now I'm in a dry place. How could it go so wrong so fast? But literally, that was his life. 
and he just had this physical impairment, but he had this poor self-image that was a result of that. He went from the palace to this dry place. It just weared on him day in and day out. And then he had this physical, and then when David came to him, you can read about it in the Bible. He approached David, and then he said with this phrase, a dead dog such as I. Anytime you read of dog, especially in the Old Testament, it was never related as a good term. And he said, a dead dog, a dead dog such as I. That's the way he referred to himself. I'm worthless. I'm in a dry place. There is no green pasture where I live. My life is worthless. I have not been nourished. I'm in this dry place. And Solomon said, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's why we have to combat everything that we live in. That's why we have to watch. And I promise you, if anybody has to fight it, I do. And just pardon me for maybe revealing a little bit too much. But in a world focused on image, image, it's easy to see why poor self-image is the curse. It is the curse of our age. We always joked about taking pictures and they say, wait, that's not my good side. But what if you don't have a good side? It's okay. We'll just Photoshop that baby. We'll put an avatar in there. I mean, any more things that you're looking at are not even real. And I thought of this when I was studying this. It has been, I would say at least 25 or 30 years ago that I seen this. It was when they was advertising and it was like the, I'll call it the clearer days when it was like in the 50s and 60s and, and the, the stay-at-home mom had made this beautiful turkey and I don't even really like turkey. And here's this turkey that was just so gorgeous and they was doing a behind-the-scenes look. And then when they got through, she was promoting it and I mean, when you got through, you was ready to go buy some turkey. And when they got through, the guy goes up and just... It wasn't even real. And I'm thinking, you know, my compliments to the architect. Man, that thing looked good. And that was 30, at least 25 or 30 years ago. And they have come so much further today. You look at people and man, that's why you, you listen to somebody singing and they sound so gorgeous and they go to them singing live and you think, Really? Really? <laughs> Let's go back and listen to the CD. That's what it is, image. Image is everything. Image is everything. And if in children we see this, we have seen this, whether you'll admit it or not, you have seen it in your own life growing up. You know, people say, I don't care what people think. You tell that to somebody else. In this world, image is everything everything, and it has cursed our society. It really has. But we live 
under the harsh glare of reality. We do. And it is the truth and what we tend to forget, really, that we are God-designed and God-loved creatures. The Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and what the world calls perfection is made up. It is literally made up. It's like you wash your face completely clean and go look in the mirror. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. God don't, God wouldn't have made you to be like somebody else if he didn't want you. He made you just the way he wanted to. That is the way God made you. And we are literally known before God before we was born and his plans are already set. One, and I'll, I'll try to be as quick as I can here. We all are familiar most likely with the story of John 8. I won't ask you to turn. I just want to make one observation then I'll go. To the lady that was brought before Jesus. Jesus was in the temple. So he is, he is in the temple and he takes and he's in the temple teaching. This lady is brought to him and he, the Bible says that the righteous brothers brought this lady to the Lord and then they're asking him questions. You know, what do you think should be done and all of this? But the Lord just stoops down. Do not forget, it's in the temple. The Lord stoops down and he's writing on the ground while they're telling him, come on, Jesus, give us an answer. But the Lord ignores him and he writes on the ground. Now, I believe, I have thought about this, excuse me, so much. And I believe that what he wrote on the ground that day was for that woman and for that woman only. And I believe when the righteous brothers looked down and read what he wrote on the ground, the Bible says being, con being condemned by their own conscience, they went out. I believe they did not like what was given and I believe it was grace that was given to that lady because they're saying the whole time, you know, we know what the law is. Well, God wrote the law to start with. So he takes his finger and he writes and whatever he wrote and the reason I believe it was not revealed in the Bible because what he wrote, I believe it was directly for that lady so it was wrote on an individual basis is why I believe it was not revealed. So whatever it is, we can come to him and let him write in the flesh of our humanity. For it was just for that lady that day because it was God in the flesh and he was dealing with her at that moment. So it was on an individual. We are fearfully and wonderfully made they drug her in there, so we're better to write, I will show thee grace. Yes, I know what the law says, but right now, I am gonna show thee the grace that you need. And when the righteous brothers read what was on the ground, they just couldn't handle it. They were so, let's be strict, I will not give in, I'm gonna do this. So that's what, that's what I really think. It was directly for that lady that day. Now, Psalms 139, 13 and 14 says, Thou hast possessed my reins, and I love this, and thou hast covered me in my mother's 
womb. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and my soul knoweth right well. The potter not only makes, but thank the Lord he remakes. He remakes. Takes flawed vessels and starts over again. And we've always said, if you're gonna be flawed, where else better to be flawed than in the potter's hands? We're not merely human beings, we're human becomings because we're not perfect. We're not perfect, we're just forgiven and we're trying our best, literally, who knowing the grace of God, try as hard as we can. John 1.12 says, many as received him that gave thee power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Beloved, John 1.3 and 2, beloved, now we are the sons of God and it doth not yet appear uh, what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, I'm gonna divert just one second, and here again, I will be as quick as I can. I'm gonna read three verses to you. You can just follow on the screen. I'm gonna read in St. John 3, 14, 15, and 16. Now, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, I have some thoughts I wanna leave you concerning this. This was Nicodemus in this chapter. He comes in chapter three, the Bible tells us, and God is speaking to him, and he starts, and Jesus himself makes this connection. He says, for as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, Jesus himself says this. So I believe it's worth looking into. So what happened was when the children of Israel was in their travels, they had gained a victory over the Canaanites and they was going and they could either go through Edom or go around it. God said, you go around it. Israel wanted to go through it. And God said, no, you go around it. To go around it was a lot further. God said, no, you go around it. So they're murmuring, complaining. They did three things. They murmured. They, right now, they're getting brass with their mouth. They murmured against God. They murmured against God's man, speaking of Moses. And they murmured against God's provision. So the Bible, you can read in the Bible, if you've ever wondered about light bread, Light bread is in the Bible. And that's what they did. They said, and we loathe, our soul loatheth this light bread. So what they done, they basically told God of the manna, we are sick of this despicable bread. And when they said that about God's provision, God told Moses, you and by this time, God said, I'm gonna send fiery serpents among them. What he did, God sent the fiery serpents. What I have read uh, through many accounts, the serpents bit them, their, their flesh, the sensation of their flesh became inflamed. It was a quick death. But here's the thing, once you was bit, there was no cure. You died, you bit, you died. 
God told Moses, and here's the thing, the people that they run their mouth against is the one that they went, oh, you need to pray to God that he would send us some relief. So now, God told Moses, you take uh, brass, melt it down, and you make a serpent of brass. You put it on a pole. So what could that do? But here's, here's the thing that I, where I believe it, it goes together. Because he, t- he took this and put it on a pole. Because literally, number one, there was no cure. And that's like us with sin. There is no cure. Period. Within ourself, there is no cure. And when he put the serpent on the pole and lifted it up, now that which healed them was made in the likeness of that which wounded them. So Jesus said, and I'm sure Satan was saying when Jesus was crucified, I have them. It is in their flesh where I tripped them So he was thinking the whole time that I have got them. And God was saying, no, you're wrong. I'm not gonna correct this from heaven. I'm gonna correct this where? In the flesh. The Bible says that he was made in the likeness and in the image of sinful, Brother Herndon mentioned this, in the likeness of sinful flesh. So that is where God said, you take and put this serpent up because the image is what it was speaking about. The image that healed them is the one that was the image that hurt them. So now God said, when I come, what wounded us is gonna be the same image that heals us. When we look to the Lord, everything that we need is found in Jesus Christ who came in the likeness of sinful flesh. So he's gonna be the one. He's the one, that, he's the one that done that. He's the one that brought this in. But the strange thing about that is we read in the Bible that literally from this point, jump up 800 years to show you what Israel did. 800 years later, we read of a king, Hezekiah, at 25 years, this is in 2 Kings 18. Um, he's 25 years old, he goes He starts to reign, I think he reigns 29 years and the Bible says that he breaks down all the groves, that means idols, and he takes, and what is one of the things Israel is burning incense to? The brass serpent. And he breaks it in pieces. This was never meant to be an idol of worship. This was to foreshadow the one coming so Hezekiah, the Bible says in 2 Kings that he break it into pieces. He destroyed it. So there is that connection, I think. And then he tells the Pharisee, for God so loved. So what a revelation that must have been to Nicodemus. Here is a man that grew up thinking that his whole world consisted of God loving just the chosen That is what he had been taught his whole life. And here Jesus tells him, for God not just loved. What If you tell your spouse I love you, but if you just from your gut tell them I so love you. And then he tells Nicodemus, for God so loved the world. All of a sudden Nicodemus' world just out of grace just expands. And he's thinking, (laughs) 
He don't just love us. He loves the world. This is not just about us. This is about the entire world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So he's taken and he's doing this and it's literally all because of grace. Now, we are designed our by our uh, creator, we bear his image, we speak, create, love, sacrifice, seek justice, and literally, in each and every one of us is wanting, literally, to come out, to be like our God. King David, the eventual successor to King Saul, he consolidated his kingdom, he pondered where any of Saul's family still lies. Ziba, who was the faithful servant of Saul, was brought to the place to answer the king's question. And then, but this is one thing about Ziba that was troubling to me. He, he described Jonathan's son Mephibosheth to the king, but he was quick to add of his impairment. You know, he said, Jonathan has a son, you know, but he's lame. David never even mentioned it. He just said, where is he at? Well, he's in Lodabar. David dispatched men to immediately go get him and you bring him to me. But all Ziba could say, but yet he's lame. He's lame. It didn't worry David that he was lame, what his impairment was. It did not matter to the king. Whatever our imperfections are, people will point out We all have imperfections. We all have them. Do you think God points them out? He gives us grace to deal with them and to better ourselves is what he literally does. He took, he done this. And David, David made that promise. It was a time to fulfill the promise that he had made to Jonathan. And that promise was fulfilled for he did it. The Bible says, while we was yet sinners, Christ died for us. His death at Calvary is at times been called the condescension, condescension because literally the Son of God became the Son of Man that we could literally become the sons of God. That is the truth. He is a lifter of our head. Grace restores us. I want to read one more passage to you in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 4, the Bible says, I'll read Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with a feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, just some thoughts I'll leave, I'll leave with you. Um, the Bible says that he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh and he was. Now, he took that he's passed. The Bible says in 14, let us hold fast that is one word in the greek it says in 14 let us hold fast our profession let us hold fast one word 
It means let us have the power of our profession. Not just hold your profession. Let us have the power of our profession. For we, the priest, our Passover was Jesus Christ. So therefore, everything that he did was for humanity. So let us have the power of our profession. We say we are a Christian. Let's have the power of Christianity. 15, it says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Now, all points, I looked up all points, is what was appealing to me. We just looked at all points where it just says, well, that's everything. That's just all points is everything. Was tempted in all points. Well, yes. But that's not what the Greek says. I understand that meaning, all points. But that's why I said, that's why I believe the woman was dealt with individually. When you go... If you want something to do, go home and look this up in the Greek. That word, all points, but was, but was in all points. All points is going to tell you individually. Do you, know, do you know what that means? What hurts him doesn't bother me. And what will put me on the floor won't hurt him but was in all points. Other words, that's why we tell, and somebody walks in and says, you don't understand the weight I'm under. Oh, but I'm telling you, somebody I know that does. That's why on an individual basis, come to God, a God that understands and will deal with you individually. That's why I say the lady that they drugged to God was dealt with as a individual. And God knows us. He knows our mental capability, our stress load, everything we go through. And you stand up and the preacher says, let's pray. And you think, God, I'm just praying with the crowd. No, you are not. God is dealing with you as an individual. And he said his grace is sufficient. So when we pray, we are dealing with God that deals with us as an individual who was in all points as an individual to us. So when we say, God, I need you, you know what I'm in. You're speaking truth. God knows what you're in. He does know what you're in. And then 15 says, in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. And, was, and then it says, and it was a feeling of our infirmities. Infirmities is weaknesses. God knows our weaknesses, what we cannot literally handle, what we tell ourselves that, well, maybe that wasn't the right phrase, what we are struggling to handle. God knows it. That's why, that's why he told, where did I write it down? Well, I can't find it now. God told Paul where he says, my grace is sufficient for my strength is made perfect or complete in weakness. God's telling Paul, Paul said, I want this thorn removed. But God told him, he says, for my grace, my divine grace is made complete 
in your infirmity, in your weakness, that which you're struggling with on an individual basis, I will make you complete. When we're standing there scratching our heads saying, God, there's no way I can overcome this. God said, that's where if you will just deal with me and I will do this. Now, he said, therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, I'll hurry. Now, throne of grace, far as I can tell, that's the only time that phrase, throne of grace, is mentioned. And where it's mentioned, and here is God saying, I did this, I was the lamb, I went through it all, and it was to give you what? Grace. But he says, come to the throne of grace. That's why it would be wrong not to offer grace to those that are in need of it. And that's everyone sitting here. Me the most. Throne of grace. One time. Throne is mentioned over 40 times in Revelation. But God in this passage here, he says, come boldly to the throne of grace. You don't need to be timid about your weaknesses. God already knows them. And he would help that we may find mercy past, past sins. God in his mercy. We may come to the throne of grace that we can find grace to help deal with the weaknesses in the future. That was stuff that we're struggling with that we hadn't conquered yet. That we can find grace to help in the time of need. To the throne of grace, he'll do it. He will do it. Now, David restored. He did that. Grace lives us, lifts us. One thing we should never do, never, is forget where God has brought us. If a person, here's where I think some people might go wrong. If a, perfect, if a person lives, born, say, I've never committed a wrong, and they think, you know, I'm so good, they are deceived. I'm telling you, we are born with a spiritual death sentence. All of us, all of us needs God and we need God's grace and it is so freely given. Neither should we forget and heaven forbid we should be misers of God's grace. We should so freely give. Do not think, do not think that it makes you look weak because it makes you look like God I will say, and one thing, I'll leave you, before they cut my mic off, I'll leave you with this. Here truly, here truly is grace. We all know about the prodigal son. But when he was coming home, the only time in scripture where God is pictured running. But here's the point. I thought about this this morning. While he still has the stink of sin, the hogs, the feed, he's coming home. The father runs to meet him. And then think about this. What does he do? The father said, while he's there, he just meets his son. 
And he says to his servants. He says to his servants. Bring forth the best robe. Cover him. I don't want him to be seen like this. Cover him. Put the ring of acceptance on his finger. Put the shoes so he won't be weary. Bring him. I don't want him seen like this. When someone comes in that is so beat down with sin, heaven forbid, heaven forbid that we would shun him. When God said cover him, cover him, don't let him be seen like this. Cover him with the best robe. Grace has been so freely given to us. So let us show it. God bless you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.